0: The Pace Line has another cramp. From Dirty Kansas to downtown Los Angeles, it's all one big gravel road. And a bicycle engineered for the mass, not the masses. The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. Welcome to our little group ride. Uh, We usually roll out here every Thursday. This show is uh, growing too, thanks to you folks, thanks to the listeners of The Pace Line, so much so that... Guys, we may have to change the name from this, of this thing from the, the paceline to the peloton. We're just we're getting bigger <laughs> by the moment. It feels good. One of our ride leaders is a Fatty of FatCyclist.com and the Fatty Cast, who recently declared himself an enthusiastic, strong, committed cyclist, but also says he has no style, no panache, and like- Mr. Self-loathing. What is up with that?
1: Well, like the paceline, I am growing too.
0: Oh, you are, and this concerns you. Oh yeah. No, your your oh, lack of panache seems to do more with um, an assessment of your skill level.
1: Oh yeah. Than your than your size. I can only self-deprecate on one vector at a time, man. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough.
0: Of course, when you share a podcast with Patrick Brady, any panache you think you might have is overshadowed by his class, red Prayers, Patrick Brady, and this is the first time I've said this on the baseline, is in the house.
2: <laughs> we should watch out for that.
0: I'm RKP contributor Michael Houghton. Uh, last show, guys, The Benchmark Show, show number 20. And we did a segment on cramps, and we focused a good portion of the topic on a new product that at the time was called It's the Nerve. We played a portion of the uh, Fatty FattyCast interview with Dr. Bob Murray, who was helping develop a product that essentially uses spice, to short-circuit the nerves that signal muscle spasms. Fatty, uh, there's an update now on It's the Nerve. What do you have?
1: Yeah, so they've released their shipping now. You can order it, and they've uh, revealed their name. They are called Hot Shot, and you can still find them at itsthenerve.com. It'll just redirect you. It's a little bit surprising how expensive it is, uh, about $6 per little 2-ounce shot. Um, that said, you know, six dollars as insurance against a cramp during race, uh, to me, that's worth it. Mm-hmm. And again, those little bottles are about the size of a five-hour energy drink, yep. right?
0: Somewhere in there, yeah,
1: almost exactly that size.
0: And again, we're talking about uh, some type of spice blend that Dr. Murray and his team have come up with to help, you know, short circuit or cut off the nerve, the signal that goes to the muscles that tell it to cramp. Um, that's kind of that's their theory it's a broad description and again go to the fatty cast listen to to fatty's interview with dr murray and you'll get a, a detailed a description of kind of what their, their thinking is regarding the cramp prevention i did some additional reading too on cramps because look this is a big topic mm-hmm. uh, you're going into summer now and more people are getting cramps due to heat and so forth. Specifically, I I looked at advice from Dr. Gabe Merkin. He's a board-certified sports medicine doctor. He's heavily involved with the health of endurance athletes. He's a marathoner and a bike rider himself. He says regarding cramps, uh, cramping during exercise usually occurs in healthy people without any underlying disease or known cause. He believes that the most common cause of exercise-associated cramps is damage to the muscle itself. He says before you get a cramp, you'll probably feel that muscle pulling and tightening. If you slow down, the pulling lessens. But if you continue to push, of course, you get the cramp. Further evidence, he says that muscle damage is the cause of the cramp is that the muscle often hurts for hours or days afterwards. Essentially, Dr. Merkin going with that overuse theory that you keep using a muscle too much or you use a muscle that has not been trained properly and then overuse it, you get the spasm and you lock up. And regarding my remedies on magnesium and calcium for cramps, Dr. Merkin, that is, labels those fairly bogus, (laughs) saying that runners who have had cramps and have been tested directly after have shown equal amounts of magnesium and calcium when compared to runners who did not cramp. So lots to still figure out when it comes to the old Charlie horse. Of course, uh, we ignored Patrick on this topic because he has panache, and people with panache do not cramp. And if they do so, they ride right through it without even a hint of discomfort. So, Patrick, congratulations. You're a non-cramper.
2: See, I just feel like a freak. So, but, um, Mm. uh, thank you? Mm. You're welcome. (laughs) Hey, Megan Guarnier
0: uh, continues to look like a favorite, not only for a medal, but for gold in Rio and the women's road race. She has three for her last three. She won the tour of California, Followed that up with a win at Nats in North Carolina, then went to Philly, and won, even though she was riding in support of Bowles-Dolman's teammate, Evelyn Stevens, who got fourth. We talked to Megan after Amgen, and she didn't offer an indication that she was on this kind of form. Question is, can she hold on to it, or does she? Is there time to shut it down and ramp back up for Rio? The women's road race is August 7th too much from the time we're taping this episode of The Pace Line. You be the coach. Fatty, what do you do if you're Megan Guarnier's coach and you're trying to get her ready for Rio?
1: I would try to just keep her going at a, you know, fade a little bit with one more spike as we get ready for Rio. You you can't hold this level forever. Try to dip it, but not too far.
0: Patrick, are you on board with that? Do you like to maybe... See if they can, you know, not totally have to ramp her up again.
2: Well, it's been proven that, that it can be done. I don't know if it's proven that it can be done clean, but it's definitely been proven okay. that it can be done. Uh, and by that, I'm referring to uh, Bradley Wiggins' uh, season a couple of years ago when he won, you know, uh, just all sorts of stuff, beginning with Perry Nice, you know, up through the tour and then uh, gold at the uh, London Olympics. Um, It was a a stretch of form that even Eddie Merckx had never managed. Um, And, you know, I mean, there was the tour Romandy in there, just all sorts of stuff. Uh, A number of stage races spread over a time period that truly even Merckx hadn't managed. And what uh, he said he'd done with his coaches was, you know, after a big win, they dial it back. Some they wouldn't, completely dial back but you know they would eliminate those you know red line efforts and just kind of keep him at a very high state of fitness uh and just wait for you know the next big event and then he'd turn it on for that and they kept doing that you know from march to august it was unbelievable yeah. um and you know so i mean maybe it can be done clean uh maybe he was clean uh we just don't know um you know all grand tour performances are suspicious, but uh, I think that you know she is of such uh, a caliber of talent that it's certainly uh, certainly possible, and I I hope that they won't just let her you know go home and eat potato chips and donuts and then hope to get her in form again just in time uh, for the for the uh, Olympics.
0: Yeah, more Olympic news: the Slovak Cycling Federation has confirmed that Peter Sagan will skip the road race and instead compete in the mountain bike race at Rio. Sagan will have four weeks to get ready after the tour. He was recently in your neck of the woods, Fatty, Park City, Utah, preparing for the Tour de France. But Sagan reportedly took in several cross-country training rides on the Deer Valley Ski Resort during his time in Park City, but didn't bother to call you, did he, Fatty?
1: Well, you know, if you've ever ridden Deer Valley, you can understand why he brought his mountain bike with him. And yes, I am a little bit hurt that he didn't swing by for barbecue.
0: Because you know the places or because you can make barbecue.
1: Oh, him? because I'm great with the grill. Oh, I know that I know exactly that. I make tremendous grills, the best grills. Believe me, there's <laughs> no problem with my grills.
0: <laughs> but, uh, but two <laughs> big names have pulled out of Rio. Ryder Hesjedal of Canada has decided not to go. Sounds like it's mostly a, a scheduling fitness thing for Ryder who had to pull the plug as well at the Giro due to illness. The bigger deal is T.J. Van Garderen has, he's pulled his name from consideration, citing concerns over the Zika virus. T.J. has a pregnant wife, so health a big concern in the Van Garderen household. The U.S., because of our sucky world rankings, can only send two men. Taylor Finney will probably be one based on his TT win at Nats. So does USAC send another TTer and just mail it in for the road race? Or does it pick a climber, say Alex Howes? Andrew Tulansky or Joe Dombrowski and see if one guy can take on the world for gold. What do we do here, Patrick? What does USAC try and do? They've got till June 24th to decide.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, (laughs) they, they were essentially already phoning it in. It's not like TJ was going to lay it on the line for another rider in the road race. Uh, He was there to do the time trial or he was going to be there to do the time trial. Um, I don't really think that anyone was under any illusion that he was going to go play domestique for somebody else. Uh, I mean, you know, that, that road race is likely to still come down to some sort of sprint, and I don't think we have any riders right now who are, are likely to get through that course, which looks to be pretty tough, um, and will still have something to, uh, to take on a sprint at the end. So, I mean... Mm-hmm. Why not just gather up our best time trialists and send them there and hope for the best? Right. Okay. I like that idea. Again, USAC needs to submit names
0: to the IOC uh, by late June, one week before the Tour de France. Oh, yeah. USAC. It has dismissed anti-doping expert Dr. Paul Dimio from its Anti-Doping Advisory Committee over his views on the current state of anti-doping efforts. A recent newspaper report indicated that Dr. Dimio thought currently banned practices, such as blood transfusions or EPO, should maybe could be legalized. Dr. Dimio is a lecturer at the University of Stirling in Scotland. He's a well he's well known that is for his unconventional views on the current system of anti-doping. But that said, in this case, his comments were rather he said in this case his comments were <clears throat> taken out of context like we haven't heard that one before. USAC's Derek Bouchard-Hall said they knew of Demio's counterpoints and they always want their advisory committee to have diverse views, but USAC is clearly favoring the zero-tolerance stance when it comes to doping. So, of course, that doesn't leave much uh, or very little room uh, for blood transfusions and EPO as an opinion. If Dr. Demio was on the equipment advisory committee, guys, it might be another thing, but he was the chair of the anti-doping advisory committee and hence his ouster or his at least request to leave as the chair
3: <laughs>
2: i just here wait 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 for it yeah that's the sound of me smacking my forehead um ah. just i mean there there's no context in which saying well maybe we should legalize transfusions and epo that makes that okay. You can't put that into some larger context, you know, elaborate on that, that sentence in some way that makes it okay. Not from somebody who's supposed to be helping, you know, with our understanding of how to deal with doping as a problem. You're, you're fundamentally supposed to be seeing doping as a problem. You know, this is like a network security guy going, well, you know, Maybe the bank shouldn't have all those
0: funds.
2: (laughs) You know, it's like, no, no, you, you know, from the word go, you've got to agree that we're trying to stamp out doping. If you don't agree on that, you're not really very useful. The guy is very bright. And, you know, he had been useful to them from helping to ask questions that other people were not necessarily asking. Uh, Bouchard Hall himself noted that, you know, he was the guy standing up saying, you know, hey, are we treating uh, clean athletes fairly? Are we treating the innocent fairly in this process? Or are we just running roughshod on them? And so he was bringing a great bigger picture perspective uh, to the doping fight until he said, well, maybe not everything should be considered doping.
0: Right. Creates a credibility issue, doesn't it, Fatty? I mean, here's you, They're trying to make inroads in this area. They're showing up at amateur races, and they've got a, a, a chair. They're doping, anti-doping advisory committee saying things like this. that They, they really just can't sit around and wait for, for that guy to say something else.
1: Well, you know, he said it was taken out of context. Maybe the context was right after he said that. He said, just kidding.
2: Yeah. <laughs> JK <laughs> uh-huh.
0: uh, The Professional Cyclists Association has sent the UCI its demands on what should be done to create a safer environment in the pro peloton following the death of Antoine de during a spring semi-classic and then the Tour of Belgium where 11 riders were mowed down by uh, two motos leaving Stig Brox in a coma the UCI came forward with a pretty weak set of regulations that included Motorbike riders must, at all times, prioritize the safety of riders in the race. Here's what the CPA wants. This is the the rider's side of things. They want certification for moto operators, a scoring system that tracks their mishaps, kind of like you do with driver's licenses now. You get a point if you mess up, if you speed. A speed limit that says motos can pass at no greater than 10K per hour faster than the peloton is moving. Motos should attempt to use routes other than the race course to pass. They want to study on the size of the peloton and how that correlates to crashes. They say they are not uh, for reducing the number of motos, only the regulation of said motos. They also want the UCI to take responsibility for setup of courses and the safety of those courses and stop pushing that onto race organizers. Tony Martin got all worked up on Twitter, in fact, after a moto cut through the pro peloton during the last 20K of Monday's stage in the Dauphiné so I guess the question I would have here, guys, isn't it time for an actual union? We've got people getting hurt in a workplace and no one properly representing them. Is it not time that these guys unionizing and and can they? I mean, they're kind of this international ragtag
2: bunch. Dude, it was time for a union 50 years ago. I mean, the the problem is the writers themselves. They they can't unite. Um, and they can't agree on the reasons why to unite or the value in uniting. So they will continue to not unite.
0: All right. Uh, finally here, it looks like Eddie Merckx is going on trial in Belgium. Prosecutors allege that in 2006, Eddie Merckx Bicycles, the company, won a $16,000 con- contract to supply bikes to the Brussels Police Department. And that it gave a local police chief a discount on performance bikes for pers- uh, for personal use. The police chief, Philippe Boucar, was indicted for corruption but has strongly denied the allegation that he accepted gifts from Merckx. And Merckx himself has also denied the allegation in this case. Coming up on the paceline, adventure rides and races. Some people call them gravel grinders, not us. We look at the king of them all and a startup in that category. The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. Michael Houghton here, a Fatty of com, and Patrick Brady, and a special guest with us, Patrick.
2: Yep, we've got the deuce here, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> Say hi, hi Matthew. Matthew. Hi. <laughs> yep. He doesn't have headphones on, does he? No, he's uh, he's home from daycare today because uh, the woman who runs his daycare is driving to Utah to get her daughter who spent no, the daba. night throwing up.
4: No, that's so. at home. This
1: is going to be the cutest episode of Paceline ever. I know. Our streams just went up. <laughs> Plus a whole new revenue source.
0: Does he have a does he have a, any social media accounts yet? I'd like him to promote. His we, appearance.
2: we should we should start one. Oh no. Please leave the, the windscreen alone. Okay. No yeah. Do, yeah. Don't touch the microphone. Do do not molest <laughs> no molesto el microphone. Yep. Oh, you want to this? Is
0: how it. easy it is to get on the pace line. You, if you have a cute,
2: young voice, you're
1: on. Yeah. Boom, like that. Then
2: <laughs> and, and Yogi. now he's yelling at the cat. <laughs> okay, no. you want to ride red bike later? Yeah. Okay, and he's oh. actually the subject of the post that went up Wait. this morning uh, uh, about the uh, the genius of little people.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Let's well, so, check that out. Yeah. Dirty Kansas in the books, guys. 200 miles across the rolling hills of Kansas. A pair of Californians won the event. Ted King, who retired from pro cycling last year when the men's division. King now lives in Mill Valley, Marin County, that is. Uh, came in with a time of 11 hours, 50 minutes, 42 minutes ahead of second place. Defending champ, uh, Yuri Hoswald, and guest of a fatty cast, had mechanical issues and uh, did not finish the race. Amanda Nauman of Laguna Hills, Orange County, was first for the ladies. 13 hours, 11 minutes. She now has back to back DK200 titles. The top two overall finishers in the 100 miler of Dirty Kansas were both women. Jill Cederholm finishing in 651 ahead of mountain bike legend Rebecca Rush, who had a time of 717. Guy Alvarez was third with 722. Yeah, he was the first man, but too bad, Guy. You are uh, third to a pair of very strong women fatty how is it you have
1: not done dirty Kanza? well for one thing i get lost really easily <laughs> i boy i from what i understand you really got to be able to navigate with that and i and you know i'm currently in my own house and am not quite sure how to get to the kitchen <laughs> but, but my my real question is about this jill cedar home win um My wife has actually beat her at Rebecca's private Idaho, but just by a couple of minutes. But and I know she was on track for a nine twenty when she crashed out at Leadville last year, and she beat Rebecca Rush by twenty five minutes, and beat the fastest man by a full half hour. That's incredible. I got to know what the story is behind this.
0: Yeah, there was no. There's not a lot of reporting on the one hundred. They just do the finishers. Obviously, the DK two hundred gets. I guess most of the uh, the media action, uh, because of its length and,
1: and it's, yeah, sure. Yeah, but so but that is a, a, an amazing story, though. I mean, half an yeah, hour faster than the fastest man, who is no slouch.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, fatty, you have no uh, desire at all to do that? Oh no! Oh
1: oh! All contraire, as we say in in my home country of France, I would love to do that. However, it comes within a week or two each year of my most important and favoritist race, which is the Rockwell Relay. So that said, oh, it's definitely on the bucket list. It's going to happen. I now have actually the bike that I want to use to race this, uh, a really nice uh, felt FRD uh, X, and it is just perfect for it. So I, I've, got, I've got everything I need except for the plane ticket and an entry and the fitness. Otherwise, I'm good okay. to go. <laughs> <laughs> Just we one or two Pencil details. your name in.
0: <laughs> Fatty for dk two hundred twenty seventeen with a question. Let's card. say 18. 18. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Uh, in a much bigger city, but on a much smaller scale with a much smaller field and on a much shorter course, I did the L.A. Roubaix version 1. And it's part of the uh, SoCal Gravel Trophy series. 45 miles, around 4,000 feet of climbing. Most of it took place within the city limits of Los Angeles. We hopscotch from parks to neighborhoods to Dodger Stadium to the L.A. River. It was a really cool way to see sections of the city I thought I knew. We do have a complete write-up and pictures of the event on Red Kite Prayer. It's titled Urban Adventure. Dorothy Wong, by the way, is the uh, series founder. Uh, Patrick and I, very familiar with Dorothy. And she's the reason there is cyclocross racing in Southern California, right, Pat? I mean, without her... Good cyclocross cross racing. Yeah, we probably wouldn't have organized events.
2: There there were cyclocross. races before, but they weren't particularly good. I stopped racing because... Uh, stopped racing cross in LA because the events were so bad. And then she started up. And then I started doing cross races again.
0: Right. And She runs a very aggressive cross schedule now, uh, including a UCI race. Um, and it's probably one of the reasons why she, she started this series. I spoke to Dorothy after the event, LA Roubaix version 1, about the creation of the series and adventure riding in general.
3: You know, in the end, it was a natural progression uh, to go from cyclocross, which has grown, and then the adventure of gravel grinding um, or gravel rides, you know, multi-surface, whatever people are calling it now. But it's, um, you know, I really enjoy doing it, so we wanted to kind of keep it low-key. We didn't want this to be a big production with 100 miles. In the end, we wanted, you know, to put on a monthly ride to help people discover um, all of the different off-road opportunities that are out there. You know, I enjoy it. Um, and I love it, and I think that's how cyclocross grew, because a lot of us loved it. I wasn't the only one, uh, but I loved it so much that I, I don't know if you want to call me the domestique, but I I just wanted um, to see it grow. I loved it that much. And this is a fun way with these shorter trophy rides, although, what time is it now?
0: Oh, you've been out there
3: for six
0: Five and a half hours, six
3: yeah. hours? I took you know? the girls on an extra credit adventure. I think that's kind of hip now. People are enjoying the off-road multi-surface adventure, and so it's just a natural thing for me to do, yeah. is to do this.
0: It's one thing to get a park or, you know, get a, a, a yeah. large area enough to put a cyclocross race on, but to cover this kind of ground in an urban setting, yeah. what were some of the hoops? that you had to get for and some of the convincing you Mm -hmm. had to do to to make this thing happen?
3: Well, so these rides are small enough, that's the other thing, so that we're not, we made sure that we were going on areas that were not illegal for bicycles to be on. So when we went through Griffith Park, we stayed on the paved roads, we weren't on the trails. Um, So we didn't really have to get permits because we were using public space, we weren't, when I put on a cyclocross race, we're actually closing down sections of the park for our course to happen on. Um, so that's why you need a permit. Um, so, yeah, it's really everybody followed the rules of the road. And as long as we're not doing something that's not allowed in the parks and on the streets, we can do it.
0: I've lived in uh, Los Angeles for 25 years, and so we did today... L.A. Route Bay, which was a distinctly urban ride that that went on dirt trails. But I'll I'll tell you, I saw stuff, and I've been to every neighborhood in L.A. now because I've been in the media long enough that I've seen a lot here. But I saw angles of neighborhoods I'd never seen before. It was lots of turns. I counted 103 on your sheet for a 46-mile ride. How did you you guys find all these little nooks and crannies? Yeah,
3: okay, so uh, first of all, the cyclocross bike allows you to find all these little secret passages that are out there. It's a great exploration, so I got some of that um, from my own explorations. And then we had a full circle moment, uh, so there's a gentleman named Dan Capel, and uh, he was actually an editor for one of the bicycling magazines. And he left the magazine and started organizing walks. So he had the greenbelt walk which was 14 miles of Los Angeles by stairs and dirt. And that's exactly what we love, cyclocross. So today we climbed uh, 250 stairs in one section, and the other section probably had a couple hundred, even though they were only two inches tall.
0: You timed us and you are timing people now. Yes. With timing brings a race element for some people. Yeah. Are these rides or races in your mind?
3: Yeah. So when you follow what I do, we have a lot of people that are in it for the recreation. (laughs) So overall, I would say 90% of the people didn't really care where they finished. They wanted the adventure. And then, you know, everybody has to follow the rules of the road. Um, And even the guy who won last time, his GPS didn't send him the right way, so he got lost 10 miles today. (laughs) So, you know, in the end, I I tend to really focus on the fun, you know. I mean, really, everybody does. these events, I mean,
0: your cyclocross series, those are bona fide, competitive, right, fun, but they're races. That's racing. You have officials there. Yeah. It's the real deal. This yes. is more about riding and fun. Yes. And yeah, you're going to get a time and a medal at yeah, the end. And a exactly. burger and a beer.
3: Yes. And, you know, it, it brings me back to when cyclocross started. when It was much smaller and everybody knew each other's names, you know. And we had a beer and a burger after the race. Now it's gotten so big or bigger. I don't even know half the people in our, you know, that come and race cyclocross. So this is a great way socialize, get to know people, um, have a great adventure. So I took the gals today again up Telluride, which was not officially on the route, um, you know, and we had a really great adventure together.
0: The the folks at USA Cycling are Mm -hmm. trying to move this way. They would like to be a part of these types of events. Mm -hmm. Obviously it means, you know, revenue for them. They, They legitimize your event Yeah, as an organizer. Do you, is it necessary? Do you need their involvement? Or is it best to keep it grassroots and have them keep arm la- arms length?
3: Yeah, so you know this ride was actually, I got a permit from my, you know this was insured, so there was liability and you know, insurance and everyone was signing the release form and I'm going to be paying insurance coverage for everybody who was there. So similar to USA Cycling. Um, so for me it's more about the safety of the rider and and the event. And so when we talk legitimizing, I'm not quite sure, then we're taking it towards racing again. So I really like at this point um, to get semi-serious with cyclocross. Racing, you know, we put on our UCI uh, weekend, we try our best um, to give the best for all of our athletes and really help our elite riders gain the experience. Um, So that they can move on to the national level. And, you know, seeing Amanda Nauman, for example, uh, go from just getting into cyclocross to being one of the best cyclocross elite women in the United States means a lot. Um, But for gravel grinding, I don't know how much it means for me that, you know, so-and-so is going to be the best gravel grinder. But people do care about that. I'm not in that place right now.
0: Thank you for putting these on. Yes. Uh, Thank you for doing cyclocross, first of all. And then... And, and growing in this direction. It's nice to have you. something close to home where yeah. folks who like to do this style of riding don't have to go yes. to, you know, Northern California yeah. or to Kansas or wherever you might need to go yeah. to do a, a ride like
3: And this. it can get bigger, but I want to do it right. I want to do it safe, you know, so that everyone has a great experience. And that's the number one focus, you know, when we do this.
0: Again, that was the Dorothy Wong, series director of Southern California Cyclocross, and now running the SoCal Gravel Trophy. Her next event, Sunday, June 26th. They will ride in between Pasadena and San Dimas. And guys, I think a lot can be said about, you know, a balance between, you know, doing super big events, which are great, and we've done those, and these smaller, more intimate affairs that kind of take you, that are more exploratory and less about about racing. And I think that's where Dorothy is headed with an event like this. (laughs) Coming up, uh, the biggest untapped market in cycling and two centuries on one wheel. That's next on The Pace Line.
3: Yeah, we're doing all kinds of fun things now. A little city cross, a little gravel grinding.
0: Line the podcast on two wheels michael Hotton here patrick brady and fatty of fatcyclist.com fatty uh, i don't mean to bring up bad memories or anything but you were once um fat oh sure first of all how
1: fat oh uh, you know i'm about five foot seven and i was tipping the scale right at 200 i was you know just brushing right up against it and there there are, of course, people who are heavier and lighter, but for a guy who lives for and loves cycling and especially climbing, it was heavier than I wanted to be.
0: When you started riding in earnest, mm-hmm. was your weight or girth ever an issue when it came to mounting, riding, or stopping said machine?
1: Well, you know, just the general act of riding, um, when you have a substantial gut, your legs come into it every single stroke. And yeah, you feel it. And the way it affects you on the saddle, you know, that's why people, you know, you see bigger guys experimenting with and getting frustrated with saddles is they're, they're bigger and the tiny saddles aren't supporting them comfortably. You know, the Mm -hmm. saddles that suit a thin cyclist don't suit a heavier cyclist as well. Um, And, you know, I could not get into the drops, you know, that was a strict impossibility at the time. Um, yeah, so bikes as they are built, both mountain bikes and more so you know nice road bikes are are for people who uh, don't carry a lot of extra weight.
0: right Well, a team at Colorado University is working on a bike for overweight people and we're not talking about people who need to lose a few pounds. we're talking about people who are clinically obese. Mm-hmm. There are all kinds of uh, impediments as Fatty just said, for these people who want to ride. Safety and strength of the bike being one as well. Seat posts, brakes, chains are too weak. Crank arms are stressed in the wrong length. Brakes don't stop properly because of the weight that's going forward. But one big thing for the larger person is just getting on the damn thing. Bikes are hard to mount if you are obese. So working with Mosaic Cycles in Boulder, the team at uh, Colorado U., has built a prototype and discovered that moving we need your help maybe here Patrick about the geo and uh, what's going on with the tubing here. The team discovered that moving the traditional top tube to a spot midway down the c tube and connected horizontally to the middle of the down tube rather than up at the top of the head tube like a normal setup produced good torsional rigidity while preserving the step through ease. That sound like it makes sense you, Patrick, that they could make a bike that would hold up to the stresses, yet allow somebody who may have a problem mounting a bike get on it?
2: Well, I think the first uh, first biggest thing to note here is, you know, in working with Mosaic, they're working with Aaron Barcheck, who is a very bright, very skilled builder, and a guy who has, you know, a, a strong duty to making bikes that work. Um, you know, this is a guy who's really motivated to get it Right. And if Aaron is working with that and, uh, and believes it's a, a, a workable design, I'm willing to give him some credit and check it out.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: 73 million Americans qualify as
0: obese, yet none of the big bike makers have addressed this market. It sounds untapped. Fatty, when you started riding a lot, I mean, it, you weren't obese. doesn't sound like you were clinically obese, But were your bike choices limited?
1: You know, my bike choices were pretty much the same. But the people who come to my blog, a lot of them searched uh, fat cyclist or heavy cyclist. And a lot of them are emailing me saying, what would be a good bike for me? I weigh 300 pounds. I weigh 350 pounds. I'm worried about whether the bike is going to support me and about riding it. And these are people who are looking to improve themselves, looking to lose some weight They're, uh, you know, running is not an option for them yet. It's, you know, and the bike, except for the discomfort, is really a perfect solution. So I really applaud and and, and am enthusiastic about someone saying, let's build a bike from the perspective of someone who is not able or comfortable getting on a standard diamond frame bike right now. And, you know, get them so that they are enjoying themselves and the bike is well built and they are not feeling, uh, unbalanced or awkward or uncomfortable and they are going to lose weight and they are going to fall in love with cycling and then they're going to lose more weight and it's just a virtuous cycle that can only mean good things.
0: Okay. Again, uh, Colorado University and Mosaic Cycles working on this, uh, Very exciting project. Uh, We're going to do a 180 now, guys, from easier to mount to difficult to mount. Either of you, start with uh, you, Fatty, ever ride a unicycle?
1: It's funny you should say that. My uh, 14-year-old twin daughters are out in the driveway every day right now during summer vacation learning to ride a unicycle that I was given as a Christmas gift a couple of years ago, and they are getting it. I have gotten on or I should say tried to get on a couple of times and have not made much progress whatsoever. So no, <laughs> I am not able to get more than, say, half of one stroke, maybe one stroke occasionally on the unicycle before I am down. So it's something I want to do. I've I've said many times that it looks like an awful lot of fun and something that a guy who loves cycling ought to be able to do but I'm not there yet. <laughs> yeah.
0: Patrick, your resume of riding different kinds of bikes is extensive. Does it include a
2: unicycle? Uh, no, I, it's been ages since I've tried, like uh, maybe close to 20 years since I last, I, I mean, it's just, it's been an opportunity thing. I just haven't been in circumstances. I'd give it a try again. And I mean, <laughs> I can do a track stand with some ease. So I think I should be able to learn, but mm-hmm. I don't know how. <laughs> yeah. I ran into someone on a local path here
0: in the beach communities of LA County. He was just starting a double century, 200 miles up and down a maybe five-mile stretch of the path through the night on a unicycle. He is Terry Peterson, calls himself the Unigeezer, even though he is only 60. Uh, we met after to talk uh, about the ride and about unicycles. The goal was a 200 miles, a double century
4: on a unicycle, right? Correct. On a 36er unicycle, big un- big wheel, um, the larger the wheel, the further you go with every revolution. You can't coast on a unicycle. There's no gears to help you climb. There's no front wheel or uh, frame to stabilize your fore and aft balance. On a bike, you can close your eyes. And as long as you're moving, the only real balance you have to concern yourself with is left and right. On a unicycle, it's 360 every direction. And you have to pedal every moment that you're moving. So... For 200 miles, that would translate to about 112,000 revolutions, since you can't go, And I did about 90-something thousand, you know, it would take probably 24 hours to count that high. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I had to cut it short at 4.30 in the morning. I had started at 8.30 in the morning the previous day, Thursday, on the 2nd of June, and uh, <clears throat> I had eaten probably too much, too fast, a few hours earlier, and uh, around 4.30 a.m., I paid a visit to the men's room. <laughs> that luckily was still open they said close it too and tossed all my cookies and uh, I knew right then that that was probably it but 174 miles in 20 hours is the longest and the farthest I've ever ridden so I was pretty darn happy with that can't complain at all so yeah very happy and that almost makes my 10th century or more ride since 2010
0: okay pretty cool and you were doing it for a for a cause
4: Oh yeah, to raise money for the Make-A-Wish Foundation, and I've also raised money on previous rides for um, other charities, uh, the American Cancer Society, and uh, leukemia uh, for um, uh, the hospital where my brother um, was at. He, he had my, my older brother passed away in uh, 2014 in October of leukemia after a brave battle of many years. Um, and uh, so, and then I've I just ride for the challenge, the personal challenge, for the fun of it and just because uh, it's, it's a great way to, to get in shape and stay fit.
0: Yeah. What, what would it take for somebody who normally rides two wheels, a conventional bicycle, to attempt the unicycle? Is it a huge leap or can you carry things over?
4: Well, most people that, have, that can ride a bike, I've never seen anyone who can ride a bike that, that attempted to learn if they really put forth some effort not be able to learn. It's it's not very hard. The main thing is not to learn bad habits at the beginning that you'll have to unlearn later on, like like uh, you know relying on a shoulder or a pole or a fence or something to, to mount. It's better to learn how to free mount, and I have a couple of u- uh, tutorials on YouTube that'll show people how to do that. It's, it's relatively easy. Um, the average person can probably learn to free mount in a couple of days, maybe a week, depending on how much time they put into it. I think it's a fear factor at first. Most people think I'm going to break my neck, but once they get on and fall, they 99% to percent of the time land on their feet, Then they think, oh, that wasn't so bad, and then they, they get into it, you know, for, they, they, they get more serious about it, and they go, okay, now I'm going to learn this. When you're riding a unicycle, you're, you're basically in a perpetual state of almost falling, forward, usually. Um, for instance, when you're climbing a hill, you have to lean into it just like a bike. When you're coming down a hill, you lean back, um, but the body tends to find its own center of gravity.
0: Now, you do this off road as well, you were saying?
4: Oh, yeah, that's my main riding discipline. I have a 20, I started out with a 24 inch mountain unicycler, which used to be the, the standard for mountain bikes, and they jumped to 26. And uh, we, uh, the unicycling uh, community, you know, screamed, we want a 26er, and, and now we have 26ers and even a 27.5, which is my favorite size. We have disc brakes now and the whole nine yards and we can ride pretty much any trail technical or otherwise that a mountain bike can do and we can do the switchbacks without having to stop (laughs) a lot easier we can like like we can hop in place and make a quick 90 degree hop if we need to to get down to the next section Mm. climbing uh, we often find ourselves passing bikes not because we're great but because we don't have the gear and we have to keep moving or lose momentum and bikes sometimes are in very low gear spinning fast but moving slow so we oftentimes pass the bikes we can't keep up with them on the flats or the downhills, but uh, I do have a geared unicycle. It's uh, got a Schlump gear made in Switzerland, the only um, uh, commercially made uh, geared hub for a unicycle. It's all internal. It's got a 1 to 1.5, so a, for instance, a, a, a 26er becomes a virtual 39-inch wheel when you kick it into high. Mm-hmm. It's got a little button that comes out of either side of the uh, 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 of, of where the crank bolt normally goes, mm-hmm. and you just kind of swipe that when you're riding. Mm-hmm. and. Well, keep up the good
0: work. We hope you're feeling better, first of all. And, and you don't look like a, a geezer, by the way. I don't know
4: where this nickname comes from. but Well, I get that a lot. But, you know, one thing is for sure on that one, I, I can't outgrow it. Uh, again, that's a Terry Peterson. <laughs>
0: Unigeezer.com is his website. I stared at the unicycle guys for a long time. Never got the urge, though. And I do love bikes. Look, Leonard Skinner saying, give me three steps. I say, give me two wheels. All the time.
1: Please tell me that he was wearing a rainbow wig and a rubber nose while you were talking with him.
0: <laughs> he did have knee pads on. <laughs> and uh, so he was like fully padded, big thick gloves, helmet, of course, long sleeve uh, jersey or jacket, you know, to protect himself from the inevitable. I mean, like he said, you got to balance your yourself uh, in a kind of a 360 pattern. It's just not this, you know, it's a four aft starboard. Port situation on a unicycle that you got to be cognizant of all the time. So, and he had
1: a flower um, lapel that squirted water, right? <laughs> Just one little Perfect. piece of one little piece of uh, a, a trivia. Sam Wakeling in the UK covered 169.9 kilometers. That's 105.57 miles on a unicycle without his feet touching the ground on September 29th, 2007. That's the world record longest unicycle ride without putting your feet down sounds like this guy all he needs to do is get himself uh a catheter and he's good to go he could totally demolish that record
0: well terry (laughs) does he did stop during his ride um his charity ride the other night so he does he would probably need a little more training to get to that point that is incredible to keep rolling uh, for that amount of time on a unicycle. Because as you know, it's constant. It's, it's direct drive. It is it is fixy mm-hmm. for all intents and purposes. Uh, with that, guys, the pace line ready to put an end to this madness. Fatty, a full plate for you, and I mean that in the most respectful way. Oh, thank you. On the FattyCast and com, What do we got coming up?
1: I want to mulligan. Last week I said that I was going to be releasing a whole bunch of podcasts and then released zero Fact mm-hmm. is, I got a new job. I'm super Oops. busy. I'm having a hard time writing or podcasting anything for this. But I've got some really great stuff uh in the can. Just need to edit it and get it out there. Yeah.
0: Hurry up because my uh, my RSS reader is waiting to to get the latest fatty cast. I love those. Sometimes I get material out of the fatty cast. You know this. Yeah, and I, pre- I mean your stuff ends up on the paste line. It's important. So, Multi-purpose. Put that out. Right. Patrick, before we let you go, uh, you have
2: a little race report for us. A brief one. Yeah. Uh, based on seven hours and 41 minutes of fun. Uh, I went this weekend to do the replacement for, uh, the bike monkey event Boggs. Uh, the Boggs eight hour race, uh, can't happen or didn't happen in its uh, usual location due to the fire, uh, last fall. And, uh, Bike Monkey held an event to raise money uh, to plant new trees there, since the forest essentially burned, and they're planting a hundred thousand trees. Yeah, one hundred thousand trees uh, in Boggs Forest. And uh, this year, instead, they held uh, an event at Winty Scout Reserve, and uh, man, it was <laughs> it was an event unlike any that I've ever experienced. Um, I guess, I guess even more than, uh, you know, Carlos Perez, the, the owner and, and mastermind of Bike Monkey, we need to give a shout out to Kevin Smallman, who has crafted the trails, uh, at Wente Scout Reservation. Um, this was, there were long, long sections of really bona fide flow trail Uh, I've never in my life done a cross-country event that was like this. I ended up riding a trail bike, 27.5 with 135 millimeters of travel, the uh, Mount Vision from Marin. And uh, it was the perfect bike. I mean, people were talking about how smooth the course was and you could ride a hardtail. But man, uh, riding a trail bike there was really the thing to do. Uh, it made all those whoop trails so fun, you know, catching air in places. Um, I've not done a mountain bike event like that in my life and, uh, I'll do whatever I can to make sure I get to do that in the future. It was an unbelievable amount of fun. And, uh, even though I did crack the top 10 in my category, that's not why I was there. I don't even care about that. Um, It was also a field of twenty guys, so cracking the top ten didn't. Right now, I'd imagine, I'd
0: imagine Bike Monkey, a great, great organization, but I'd imagine they they want to get back to Boggs. What are the prospects there?
2: We really don't know what's happening. I mean, people have already started a hashtag Winty Two Thousand Seventeen to to declaim our uh, or exclaim our love of this new locale. Uh, I hear that, you know, people who are diehard Boggs fans are like, whoa, that was much, much better. Um, You know, I hear nothing but good stuff about Boggs. But, you know, water was plentiful and fresh. There were bathrooms, things that make Boggs a little bit of a struggle. And, uh, you know, I mean, this was something where people camped out. And, uh, yeah, even the little guys were there. Yeah. and uh we had just the best time and when the when the podium happened uh on saturday afternoon um you know people hung out to cheer everyone and watch and i mean i i don't think i've ever been to a crit in my life where everybody hung out and cheered on each other as they got their awards this was this was a neat neat event
0: mm-hmm. awesome well uh... Whatever they do, Bike Monkey is going to put on a great event no matter where. They could do it in a parking lot, and they could make a good event. The, the Bike Monkey crew, very good. And again, I think it goes to some of the things we've heard today on the pace line, that good organization, good people, they put on good events. They don't have to be big. They don't have to be well-known. They can even be startups and first-timers like Dorothy's event, and people, people have a good time and walk away feeling satisfied and good about their experience. So very cool. Uh, the Paceline Line podcast can be found on the pages of Red Kite Prayer. Just head to the sound section of the site. We're also on Stitcher and iTunes. And if you could, please leave us comments. And we'd love to hear always what you have to say, what's on your mind, what you think of the show. Please rate us as well on iTunes or Stitcher if you get us from those sites. So, for Fatty, Patrick Brady, and Matthew Brady... I'm Michael Hotton. We'll talk to you next time on The Pace Line.
2: You want to ride red bike later? Yeah. Okay.